Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. This is Talking Tourism, and I'm today's host, David Reid. Today, I'm joined by Sam Denmead, and every week, the Tourism Industry Council of Tasmania is bringing you conversations with the brightest minds in the tourism industry. The Tourism Industry Council is the peak body for tourism operators in the beautiful state of Tasmania. Each episode of Talking Tourism will deal with a specific tourism-related topic, with tips and advice for improving your tourism business and getting ahead in the visitor economy. You might be listening to this outside of Tasmania, and if so, welcome, because the contents of these podcasts are relevant for your tourism businesses wherever you are based. But today, we have got an array of judges in front of us from the Tourism Awards, and we are speaking with Alison Stubbs and Lani Davis and Paul Fleming and Simon Stubbs. So, Sam, my co-host today... Would you like to tell us all about these lovely people in front of us? Certainly. So my job is the coordinator of the awards and I'm, I've been doing that for a couple of years now and we thought that the experience and the knowledge and the skills and expertise that the judges have um, needs to be shared amongst the operators and the entrants to the Tourism Awards. So we've got a whole array of experiences here between us um, Sitting with me here is Alison Stubbs, who's our current and new Chair of Judges. Hello, Ali. Hello, Sam. <laughs> um, next to her, we've got Paul Fleming. We have Lani Davies and Simon Stubbs. Now, all of these judges have ex- a lot of experience. Simon and David Reed, our host, have both been Chair of Judges. Ali's the current Chair. Uh, Paul and the rest of them have all judged at national level as well as state level. So what we have for you today is a whole lot of experience. So we have a bunch of questions that we're going to go through and everybody will have a chance to answer as best they can. And ideally, we give the people listening, particularly the entrants of the awards, some great tips on how to get ahead this year. And it may not just be tips. It may be what we ought to do, I think, is to start by saying the title of today's podcast is How to Get Ahead in the Tourism Awards. I don't think getting ahead is of any value at all. I think the real question is how to win. I mean, coming second or third is really not the answer. (laughs) The question here is how do you win a tourism award team? So um, there must be some generic things that you have always thought about rather than all of these these very detailed things that we're going to get into. So can I ask a simple one-sentence answer how do I win a tourism award? So I'll start with Paul. I think for me, one of the first things I look for is um, a, an award submission that's concise, that also conveys passion. Um, if it's lacking in those two, it can still be good, but it might not reach to great. That's perfect. What a great start. Lani. Yes, thank you, David. So um, my tip would be to take the judges on a journey, I guess, and I concur with Paul's thoughts about being concise and and talk with passion, but really, you know, take that um, journey with the judges and speak with authenticity and and passion and and just just tell us a little bit about what you're doing and, you know, what you're passionate about. And Ali, what do you think? Uh, Thanks, David. Uh, I guess both Paul and Lani have covered quite a lot of points already. The the thing I would say is answer the question. Answer the question. And lastly, we have Simon. Yeah, what do I say now? Um, You've covered them all. (laughs) The other thing I would add is personal. Try and engage the personal uh, side of your journey. Um, we're, We're people, we're humans. We can connect with you and understand what you've been through. Uh, and relate to that, that really brings uh, to life the story a lot more. But passion is the number one thing. Bring that forward. Excite me. I want to be excited by what you've done and where you've gone. Well, thanks very much for coming today because obviously that's the end for today. <laughs> um, we've, we've established now that if we have a passionate, concise um, and personal experience of a journey and we answer the questions correctly, we'll all win. Absolutely done. Over to you, Sam. <laughs> um that's an excellent place to start, though. So let's let's dive a bit further. 
deeper into this. So let's talk about examples. We want to hear what makes your business stand out. So Ali, tell us about incorporating examples into your answers. Examples and case studies are really important to include. It it allows the judges to see how you're applying what you've said to your actual business. So if you're saying how something has um, assisted your customer service or that you've got great customer service, you need to give just a very short example of how that actually happens, just a report of how a particular guest commented on your customer service or something along those lines. Anyone else got an example about using examples? (laughs) I, I kind of uh, think about it like um, applying for a job, really, and a, a really good strategy that um, people have used in the past that's quite a successful one is the STAR model. So, uh, as, as Ali was saying, you know, really provide a fantastic example, but a good strategy, strategy to do this is um, look at what situation uh, that those specific circumstances um, you had demonstrated that particular skill or task, and then what was it, the task that you did, and what did you have to actually do? Um, And then the action, so what did you do and how did you actually do it? And finally, and the most important thing is what what was the result or what did you achieve through that um, action? So that's a a good model to use uh, to, you know, include your examples. So summarise that STAR model again. So what was it? Yes, a STAR is situation, task, action and result. And it's a proven model for applying for jobs, but it can be contextualised for uh, the the, um, submissions as well for tourism awards. I've got a question, please. Um, So I'll ask the other two that didn't answer the first one. Um, The first question is about an overview of your business. And I'm actually writing one this this time, um, and I'm trying not to influence any of the judges, by the way, here to say that, you know, I'm trying to get as many tips as I possibly can. But look, um, when providing an overview of the business, have you got any um, suggestions? I find this really quite difficult to write a little 30, 100, page, 100 word, sorry, um, synopsis of my business because I'm, I'm right involved in it. Have you got any ideas for us, please? Simon. What drove you there? What was your passion? What was the reason for starting that off? Um, what was the light bulb moment that, that triggered you to take on that business or to <clears throat> step out into that area or that arena? And then it's <clears throat> that really is what keeps you going. What is it that gets you up on those hard days, those days that are really tough? That's the passion. That's where the heart is. That's where the, the soul is. That's what really brings out your four and then to your guests. So really trying to explain that and bring that forward is if you can get that into yeah, 100 words or, or less, that's the big challenge. But it comes back to that whole thing of passion. It's it's what is what were you passionate about that drove you to set up that business to start with? What's the thing that really got you there? Thank you. Paul? Yeah, exactly what Simon just said, but I would also add that it provides context uh, it kind of sets the scene for the rest of the submission and particularly at national level, I notice that it's such an important step because there are generally going to be places we don't know about. I mean, in Tasmania, we're all aware of operators that are around and what they do and everything's connected here. But then reading national submissions of places I've never heard of or operators I've never heard of, um, that little introduction piece is a r- crucial piece of context about what I'm going to be reading about. And some of the advice that you give or especially Sam gives at these workshops, is all about making sure that your whole submission is thinking nationally rather than just winning a little state award. We're trying to aim for the top. Absolutely, and that's where the context comes in, that you need to write it for someone who you can assume has never heard of you. So if you can you know, share all your knowledge and experience and passion with someone who's never heard of you and convince them you are as amazing as you think you are, um, then, yeah, that's a big tick from me. Let's change subject and let's talk about if you don't win, um, do you have any advice and tips for how to handle when you don't win? Alcohol. Ali. <laughs> Alcohol. Alcohol. We're normally on the night. On the night, yes. It doesn't uh, – perhaps the uh, <laughs> reputation following that night isn't so good. Uh, <laughs> tips for if you don't win. I guess the 
it sounds really cliche, but the whole process of what you go through in writing an award application is a really um, effective and useful business tool. And that review of what you've done and what your goals are going forward. Uh, so I guess it's taking stock of, of that. It's reading the judges' feedback and thinking already how on earth you're going to come back and knock them off their pedestal next year. Yeah, I'd just add with that. I mean, I, I haven't uh, judged for as long as the others have, but even in the short time I have, I've seen some of the same operators come back. And it's actually been really pleasing to see them take on board feedback. Um, you know, they were given previously and actually worked that into their business plans and actually their operations in general. So, yeah, we do sometimes notice if someone actually has listened to what we've said and it's, it's great they do it. Lani. Yeah, um, I also, you know, I, I would encourage you all to really, really read the comments because the judges, it's a culmination of the three judges and all those judges bring such a wealth of experience and knowledge and, and passion within their own, uh, you know, judging and comments. So really, really take those comments on board and apply that for future submissions. And, and as Paul said, we do see improvements and it's, you have a little proud moment when you actually see that. And so, yeah, really read those comments and value them. I guess just reinforcing take on the process. <clears throat> so heavy submissions um, before even not being successful but actually get it critiqued as often as possible by as many people as possible to get the as much feedback about it as possible. But, yeah, on the night, reflect on where you're at too. You didn't win the night but you've also got beaten by a better business or had a better submission. Um, that's a chance to improve next year and potentially beat them uh, down the track. Thank you. The next question I have is about the online application forms, nomination forms, I'm sorry, nowadays. They seem to be um, fairly restrictive, if I could put it that way. So when one is asked to add imagery, images, um, does that actually take away from the scale and size of the nomination you're putting forward or how do images help judges and what sort of things should we be looking at if we want to throw in some pictures? I'll jump in there. Um, absolutely. Look, I'm a very visual person, so I really like to see images, but they need to relate to the question and relate to the answer that they're giving. Um, but images just help to really show that in a really clear way. They don't all have to be polished and amazing images. Um, they can be, you know, iPhone images or simple images. <clears throat> but can I put a video in, Simon? I don't believe you can, no. no so it's right. still images, but really think about what that image is saying in regard to the answer to that question. So it needs to relate really clearly to that answer. Um, that, yeah, I find it helps for me. Um, little images are quite good, just to get an idea of what, what you're talking about. Can I ask a question on that um, for the judges? How important do you guys believe captions are for those images? Well, I, I personally like having captions because, once again, it adds context and uh, adds re relevance to the answer. Um, and, yeah, I think it can just add a bit more depth to that um, quality image that you've provided and also just further enhances your overall submission. So a well-placed uh, image, you know, it's, you know it's a, a picture, you know, can uh, relate to a thousand words, can't. So if you pop in a really great image, it, it really does enhance your submission. And Paul, you're big on images? I am. I'm also a very visual person with a background in photography. Um, but as Simon said, they don't have to be polished images. It's what's in the image that's important. Um, but there is a level of, you know, take some care with the images you put in um, because it does, it's reflecting your business. So, you know, if you put in a really badly taken image, just think about how that might be portraying you and if that's the image you're trying to say. If what you've written is about um, and explaining an amazing tour experience that you have, but your picture is terrible, um, then it might not actually convey that, that uh, passion and feeling that you are trying to get across. And I also agree that captions are very important because it also gives a context, but also proves that that image you've put in is there for a reason and gives us something to relate back to. Oh, uh, Alison doesn't have anything to add at all. <laughs> we've, obviously, we've obviously done the, the, the full works on imagery. Well, oh, actually, thank I'd you like for to that. Keep you going to add? Sorry. Please because, do. Because uh, I would like to hear the judges' opinions on um, collage images. 
and how effective they are or do they not work at all? So I, I give one bit of advice, but I'd be fascinated to hear what you guys think when you see collage images. Ali. Okay, I'll step in here. I think collage images have their place, but you have to really think again about the content of what you're including and the size that that image is going to come out at in the application. There's no point doing a collage of 10 different photos because I think they they potentially lose um, impact and Can I jump in yeah. please? Are, are you are you telling us then that when the judges read the submissions that all the images are the same size? So regardless of what I upload, you will see something that is that big and you they will always be the same or can you um, make them bigger or smaller? What me to jump in here because I, yeah. I play in the portal a lot. So to answer your question, David, what you see on your computer screen is exactly what the judges see on their computer screen. So if you put a tiny image in and just on that, when you upload an image into the portal, it uploads it at a very quite a small size, which isn't very good or appropriate. So you need to drag that image to be larger on your screen. Uh, you can do that by grabbing the little boxes on the side um, and then you click on the image so you can you can make changes. You can add your caption by doing that. So I would suggest uh, trialling it on a, on a few different types of computers, a PC or a laptop, and think about what the judges are going to be using when they're reading your submission. Okay. So, so I'm sorry, I interrupted because we were talking about collages. Yes. So collages do have a, a place, I think, to, to be able to maybe convey two or three images in a single photo, in a single image, um, because it can, it can just include that extra information and only count as one image in your submission, but you have to give a lot of thought to what it's going to look like and how it communicates to the judge. Yeah, it, it just comes back to its context. Why are you even putting the image in? If you're making a collage with 10 little images that sort of get squished together, what is that portraying and what is it telling us and why is it relevant? Um, and even including images, I like to actually see it in the answer, in the written part of the answer, some sort of reference to it that connects to that image. Like there's, there's no extra points for just dumping in an image in the end of each question if it has no relevance to what we're asking for. Um, so a good use of a collage, though, of just a couple of images, is if you're providing one of the examples, like the star system that um, Lani just uh, talked about, that could show a progression of, you know, what was the issue what was the outcome type thing to show, you know, just to give a visual representation of what you've done. Thank you. Simon? I'll just jump in there. Also think about the size of the image. Think about it in regard to it's too big. Um, it often, you've got to try and scroll across. You lose parts of the image um, if it's on its side. So think about the rot rotation, so the aspect of the image as well. So it's really, think about the judges and what they're reading it on. It could be on a laptop. It may be on a tablet. Um, they may not be able to rotate the, the computer screen. So think about how when you put it in, how it looks for you. Here's how the judges will see it. So if it's too big and you've got to scroll across the page to try and find the image or look at the whole image entirety, it loses value very quickly. So can I keep talking about images? Um, let's talk about a couple more things. Firstly, text overlaid on images. Who wants to talk about that? What's the I difference between text and captions? Well, caption is uh, underneath the image and doesn't right. touch the image at all, uh, whereas I'm talking about where you've gone into a program and put text on top of your image. Oh, okay. Yeah, so and that can have an effect where, you know, putting a, a caption under the image is great. That's where it should be. Um, if there's text in the image, I'd expect it just to be labelling perhaps, like marking what things are or drawing attention to it. Where it maybe gets a bit blurry is when it starts to move into the infographic type area um, where people... Well, you know, they can dent some key information about their business, which is great to see. But I've seen a few where it looks like they're using that as a way of avoiding the word count um, because if their text is laid over the image, then it won't show up in the word count. Um, you know, and I've seen some where there's, there was actually more text overlaid over the images than there was in the answer, which tells me that's not a concise answer to that question. Um, and... You know, I, I can't award extra points for all that extra information you've put in because um, it looks like you've tried to get around it. So I don't know how the other judges feel about that, but that kind of irks me and it, it doesn't get you any extra points. It's actually a hindrance, if, if anything else. That's a really good comment, isn't it? Yeah. 
Okay. And there are different types of images. So let's talk about the various types that obviously a picture is what most people think of as being an image, but you're allowed to upload PNG or JPEG files, not PDFs, but those two types of files. And they can be of anything. So you can you can upload an infographic or a table or a graph. Um, so I'm interested in your comments about what should be contained in an image. Thanks, Sam. So I, I, I believe that um, whatever image you've decided to upload um, and all the examples that Sam just used should once again be relevant and contextualised to the answer you're, you're um, meeting and also that you, whatever image you have uploaded, it's not going to dilute it. So, you know, for example, collages, you know, as we've discussed, if there's too many images, it's going to dilute the, um, the image quality and um, the, out, you know, the outcome that you're hoping to achieve. But also, you know, great, it can really add value to a question when there's a screenshot of a website or for me, once again, I think we all concur that we're all quite visual and as judges, you, you do have the a, a huge tasks of reading lots of words so an image is a welcome reprieve and um, if, you know, if you've got a great screenshot as I mentioned or a graph, it can really help the judges to connect further with your submission. Yeah, I'll just add really quickly on that. You mentioned screenshots and that comes back to examples. So if you've mentioned that you fixed someone's issue or you got particular feedback that you took some actions from and rectified, including a screenshot of that person's post on TripAdvisor or something that includes maybe your response to them, it adds a bit of a proof point to that as well. It's not. It's a demonstration that you really, well, that really happened, um, which I, I enjoy seeing so that. So, Paul, on that, um, do you, as a judge, read try to read the words in that image or is that image just to show that you as a judge that it actually happened and you put the words in the body of the submission? Might Ooh, depend on how, on yeah, that. it might depend on how long the comment actually is. Like, you know, if the piece of feedback that someone gave you on their experience was a big chunk of a paragraph, you wouldn't want to actually enter that as text into your answer because there goes all your word count. Yeah. Um, but you would, again, give it context. You might include that as a, a screenshot and I'll read through it. Um, as long as it's not blurry and yeah, all that fuzzy, sort of thing. Yes. Um, but in your answer, the the actual ca oh, the, the written part, that's where you give a context and reason why it's there and what you did. I don't know if the others agree. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think you make a reference to feedback on TripAdvisor. I think if you're including perhaps an image or a screenshot of a, a, a review, it's got to be legible like we – you can't be so blurry that it could be someone else's TripAdvisor feedback or something completely different where they're actually complaining about you or anything like that. So the the wording has to be readable, but you, it's to provide evidence, I guess, as opposed to providing extra words because the judges won't sort of look at it as an additional word count. It's just to support what you're talking about. Yeah, and you just maybe think of something extra on that, that when you are including a screenshot of like someone's review and it's got your response to them, the other thing I look at, and this might be just something I do, but, it, you know, it'll have the date on there as well or when you reply to the person. So if you're saying in your response that, you know, you respond to everyone within 24 hours, but on your response <laughs> to that person's post, it's a month later, like that just raises a question mark. So think about what you're doing, like, it's one thing to say, yes, this is what we do, but if you're going to use an example to demonstrate that, think about what that looks like. Could be tripped up pretty quickly, I reckon. <laughs> Guys, there's no um, actual hard and fast rule for judges in the Gold Book about how you penalise a, a, a submission for using images that you can't actually, uh, they're not legible. So do you have your own rules of thumb that you want to share about what to avoid with images that you want to finish this with? I guess I'm a little bit different to the other judges. I'm... I'm I'm still a visual person, but I don't put a lot of credence in the in or put a lot of importance on the images. Um, I'm not someone, and as you said, we can't penalise for any, not officially. Not officially, um, it it can influence um, judges if if something is as as Paul said before. You know, something's wrong or contradicts uh, something that you've stated. Uh, in there, but yeah, to me, I, certainly it doesn't panel, you know, doesn't affect my scoring. Okay, Lani, I just would suggest that 
you're using a good quality image that is going to enhance your submission rather than detract from it. So if it's stretched or if it's, um, you know, hasn't uploaded properly or it's pixelated, yes, whilst whilst we can't um, penalise for that, it, it can just detract from the overall professionalism of the submission. I guess, I guess on that it's a tone. It sets a tone as well. Um, Paul talked about before consistency. It starts to raise questions and those questions then go through. It sets your own tone to that. If there's a whole – the first three or four images are blurry or inconsistent with the, the passion or the professionalism you're trying to put forward, it sets a tone through you whether you mean to or not, but it does naturally sort of lend you down that path. So think about the images in regard to – yeah, the consistency of your submission, um, does it convey your passion and what's it telling the judges? You know, what message are you trying to put across? Not only the information you're doing but the images. What, what are you trying to pass across to the judges? Yeah. Thank you. My next question is about how hard it is because as a first-year entrant, there's an awful lot goes into this. Does it get, does it get any easier over the years? Mm, as a... Past entrant for probably over a decade or more, I think. Uh, does it get easier? <sighs> no. <laughs> it, it's, uh, so sh- surely, Alison, sorry to interrupt, but <laughs> wouldn't we be talking about there's an awful lot of work that's required and sourcing of original data and stuff for the first year. What I'm considering is that once you've got that, it's an, is, there is a refinement and an updating and thing, but the... The, the original, and you listen to the judges, I presume, you know, they're all their feedback up for your second and third burst at this. But the, the original gathering of the information seems pretty daunting. So years two and three surely must be, hopefully, <laughs> easier. Yes, true. The I guess the thing I've, I found when we were entering is that if you know that you're entering, you start collating that information throughout the year. We used to have a folder whereby if we got a great letter or great feedback, you know, that was back in the days when feedback was written and not online, uh, you know, we'd, we'd stick that in a, in a folder or, you know, that we had just a folder, we would start to accumulate information. And I guess it relates back to that business process that I was talking about before and every business is is different in that if you annually review where your customers are coming from and, and your performance and your financials, then, you know, naturally the awards process almost becomes part of quite easy because you have that information already. But for your yeah, for your first time when you're sourcing all of that information, it can be very daunting. Uh, but it is also hard work each year. You've got to make sure you're not just writing the same words year after year because they the answers do get uh, sorry, the questions do get changed around and it has to be contextual to the the year of the submission and not something that happened two or three years ago. Lani, have you got some yeah. some more advice? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really good point, and I think it's um it's like you know school homework. Don't leave it to the last minute. You know, really, really set aside some time. Um, there is a lot of work in it. You know. Pre- especially in, when you first start. Um, so allow, you know, quite a few, you know, quite a lot of time, you know, on top of all your other business, you know, tasks and objectives that you have to do within your work day. The, I guess the, you know, the, the great thing that operators have now is a huge amount of support network that the TICT provide all entrants, you know, with the workshops that are currently happening and, and Sam is just a, an advocate for all submissions, sort of submission writers. So you've got a huge amount of, um, ex, you know, experience and, and wealth of knowledge that you can uh, tap into and including, you know, podcasts like this. So there's a huge amount of support. The other thing is uh, to follow on what Ali was saying is really... Um, make sure it is current. So I've read submissions that have referenced, you know, you could tell that they hadn't really updated it from the year before. And once again, that's, I guess that's, you know, coming back to that attention to to details and and really update and and make sure it's contemporary and fresh every year. Stubbsy, surely you've got some advice giving a long-time entrant and judge? Look, the first year, definitely this sort of getting all that information together but it's then every year after that is you are 
almost came back to scratch again because it is just that year you are talking to and referring to. You can reference back to previous times, but you are talking about that year. Um, the key is to really start building that portfolio of information early in the year. So you've got that referencing that TripAdvisor report, referencing the letter or the email or the communication and getting that information together um, to draw from to then be able to write to that and be concise and consistent with it. Yeah. I think from my experience, um, the, the, while the first year is hard, daunting, overwhelming, all those words, because there's a lot to do, um, while the second and subsequent years are still hard, um, Alice, it doesn't get easier, it's just different because you know what's expected of you, um, but you have a desire within to do better, but you know how to how to go and resource, how to find the resources you need. You just want to do a better job this year. So it's it's not easier, it's just different, different type of work. Yeah, I'd agree. It is, when I said no, it's sort of like, I meant no in the sense of it's still the same amount of, yes. of hard work, yeah. but it is different, as you said, in terms of you know what you're, you know better what you're meant to be looking for and the, with the judge's feedback you know what else to to be including that you might have missed the year before but generally the the hours and the commitment is much the same because you're updating it and and making yep. it relevant and taking on board judges feedback every year yeah yep. so the judges feedback is as a as, as I work with the entrance just to remind you guys as judges your comments and feedback is is unbelievable source of information for them and they read every single word that you guys write um, and so for the entrants out there listening, uh, the judges, you know, their, their experience and knowledge is, is really the key here to turning a, a good submission into a great submission next year. Talking about turning a, 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 turning a shilling I'm going to talk about now, um, how important is financial analysis of a business and do you take into account whether a business is highly profitable or me reasonably profitable or... Does that influence you in any way? How 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 important is the financial business, the financial part of the business? None of the judges want to answer this. Okay, so, so uh, <laughs> we're now going to talk about pig rearing. Um, uh, I guess it, under the sort of the business business operations, business goals, Question two, anyway. Business planning, it Business is, yeah. planning, that's it. Uh, where it talks about, um, you know, what your your vision and your mission and, and some of your business um, key objectives and goals and strategies. The I guess the key, I think, is explaining if you haven't experienced exceptional growth or exceptional um, profit or anything like that, it's, it's ex- just providing an explanation to the judges of why that may may be. I think as judges, you know, we're not all accountants or, you know, financial advisors or anything out there. So we're sort of looking at the financial side of the business in the context of the whole whole submission. Um, and we're not selecting people based on, oh, they've got a much higher profit, therefore they get more points or anything like that. It's really about your business processes as such. Have you ever been embarrassed by awarding a business that's then subsequently gone broke. <laughs> Have you got an example? <laughs> no, not naming names. Thank you. Oh, I've got a number, but it goes back some years ago. Um, I'll add to that. that I Please, think Simon. It's looking at the business is just, it's a, crikey, that's a tough one, isn't it? Sustainable. So looking at the business practices, is it a sustainable business? Is it going to – are their practices really stable and, you know, well-founded? Um Again, and explaining why, if they haven't made a, a massive profit or a big profit, necessarily why they may be investing money back into the business or doing other other ways around that. So, while profits are a really good indication of the business's success, they may be using that in other ways or shapes and forms. So, yeah. And if I'm going to share all of this critical information with the judges. Um, am I in any way exposed in a confidentiality manner? Um, I mean, we are going to share the warts and all, the whole works of uh, the business, the ins and outs, everything. So how can I be guaranteed of the confidentiality throughout this process, please? That's a really good so, question, David, and that's um, one of the first things we do is, as judges sign a confidentiality agreement. 
Um, we're then also vetted for conflict of interest. So if there's a conflict of interest with um, the business I'm running to your business, um, I won't be put on to judge yours, your submission. So there's another level of checks and balances there, but the confidentiality is the, the key one there. Um, and really the discussions are held just with the three judges about your submission and then it's not continued on after that at all. Okay, so I've, I've been very successful and it's been a great night and I've woken up and I've realised I've won. And that's really special because I can't remember much of what happened last night, but I've won this wonderful tourism award. What happens to my submission now? Do I get it back or what, what, what goes on next? Who's going to answer me, Alison? Lucky me. Um, so basically your submission now, if you've won at the State Awards, it gets passed as is without any editing or additions up but to But I forgot something. Too late. Something. Too bad, David. What? Too bad. Oh, Too no, bad. no. I had a, a, better, a better image. I know. The sun should. came up yesterday and it was just a better... What Save happened? it for next year. Oh, put it in your folder. Yeah. No, no you, you don't get your submission back. It goes right. straight up to the Nationals as is. Um, and that's where what Paul mentioned before about thinking it in the national context or about people who don't know Tasmania, who don't know your business, um, reading your submission. Uh, that's really important because if you do win gold at the state, uh, it will go up to, to three judges nationally who, you know, may not be a Tasmanian and may not have no idea about anything that you do. So in terms of confidentiality, um, just from a coordinating point of view, um, the judges read online, they don't print anything off and they don't save a copy to their hard drive and have the opportunity to, to print. So it it's never something that gets passed around or left on a coffee table for people to pick up and read through. It's only those three judges that ever get to look at it. And then the site judge will also read through it and then they may pick up on some of the things you've said in it when they come for their site visit. So four people. Plus myself. And I've just thought of something too. And, and, and once those three judges have finished that judging for that year, those discussions are never, ever, um, you know, shared again. So it's, it's something that we all take a huge amount of pride in. It's, it's all of our reputations and we all, 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 all of the judges really respect the information that's shared. It's um, an honour for us to read these submissions and I think, you know, that's, that's done with a huge amount of respect and, and um, confidentiality. And I must admit, I've been a bit flippant um, in that last com uh, the last questions or so, but I take your point entirely, Lani, that um, it's, I don't think it's ever been the case, regardless of whether it was online or even prior to that, that the judges ever discussed um, submissions anywhere. I've never heard of that throughout the history. Of, I suppose it's been going 30 years or something like that now these state tourism awards, and I don't ever remember um, the confidentiality being breached. So, yeah, that's reassuring. And, of course, it is a, a true reflection on the great job that you do as professionals. It's fantastic. Now I want to be flippant again. Well, how unusual, some might <laughs> say. What happens if I was to add a bit of humour in my submission, that this was a bit of that I added a joke or two or something about, oh, I won't go into what it was like. Any comments? Paul. Simon. A similar haircut, David. No, <laughs> well, I honestly wanted Paul uh, to answer. <laughs> I'll go to Paul in just a you second. In. Um, look, I think uh, humour is definitely um, welcomed with the, as long as it's got context uh, or you can sort of incorporate it into your answer and, and give a reason for it. But... Um, when you're sitting there at 10 or 11 o'clock at night having done a full day's work, to have a little chuckle or laugh and recognise that is a really nice thing to, to do that. Think about the professionalism, think about the type of people that are reading it too. It, um, just be cautious with the, the humour in regard to it not being offensive um, or confusing. Um, but yeah, definitely I think a bit of humour. I think one of the ones we put in, we used a, a reference to Dr Zeus. Um, as a reference and one of his quotes, but then referenced it back to the question. So, yeah, no, have some fun with it. It's good. Thank you. Paul? 
yeah, Simon, you took the words out of my mouth, basically. It, 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 it comes back to the context. Um, if humour and fun is part of your business as well, the experience that you provide, well, then it makes sense to try and bring that through in your passion. If you run tours somewhere, you know, in a cemetery or something, then maybe throwing jokes in isn't a great idea. But also, it, you don't want to say anything offensive. No, no. Um, and we do read a lot of submissions and what you've written is something that was hilarious at the time you were doing your submission it might be the 12th submission we've read and we're just looking at it thinking, is that meant to be a joke or are they actually serious? Um, so use it sparingly, but don't let it stop with your personality as well of your business. Sam, you're moderating a whole range of different um, award submittors at the moment. You must be coming across some certain themes that you're that you're finding that are being dragged out of the various people that are saying, I can't follow this or this is becoming too difficult or I've got one particular issue that I can't manage the easier than any others. Uh, uh, do you have anything for these experts on our panel? Um, I guess we're talking about the listener here, so the listener being the tourism board entrant. What I'm experiencing at the moment, because we're in the early stages, there's a little bit of overwhelm at the moment um, because we're at you know, early stages of collating information. Um, so people are, are starting to stress out about having all the policies and procedures in place. But I have to remind everybody that the Tourism Awards is very much um, aligned now with the accreditation processes. So we've this year introduced the star rating um, uh, for accommodation properties. Um, and we're also looking a bit more at the EcoStar accreditation. Um, so, you know, generally a good business has got all the policies and procedures in place. So you shouldn't be stressing out about that because you should have it in place. But what um, what I'm finding is business planning, and you guys will probably be able to back me up on this, business planning can really set the tone for the rest of the submission. So business planning comes up in 2A, so we're still quite early on. So from the judge's point of view, um, how important for you guys is reading what appears to be a succinct business plan and then seeing it carried through the rest of the submission? I'm happy to chip in. Uh, the The business planning, as you said, is is fairly early on, and I think it's uh, very good to include a, a range of areas. So, when you're setting the the goals, strategies, and outcomes um, for that question, don't just focus on the financial. Think about sort of almost each element of the submission in terms of perhaps what your financial and business operation goals are, what your uh, customer service sort of goals might be, marketing goals, that sort of thing. So include all areas of that. And it, it is only a snapshot. Like we're not expecting your two or three page business plan inserted into the awards. It's meant to be a, an indication of your key goals, strategies and outcomes. Okay. Thank you. Any other comments? I, for me, I, something I would just add on to that, but it actually goes for the whole of the submission that try and keep in mind your customer's experience. I know I've read somewhere they've written about the amazing goals they have, but I'm kind of left wondering, well, what difference does that make to the visitor though or the person who comes through the, your, your operation? What does that change for them? What does it mean for them? And what do they get out of it? Because at the end of the day, they're the reason you exist. That's a good point actually, keeping the customer in mind. Um, and the other point is keeping tourism in mind for these awards. So if you guys got any advice about that, where you'd go, you, you see... Submissions go off on a bit of a tangent, talking about something that's not either customer or tourism related. It comes back to something Alison said earlier, is really read the question, really hone that right down again and keep those in mind. Top of mind is, is make sure it is customer and tourism focused. Um, and the other one I've thrown is don't assume, don't assume that the judge actually knows your different um, business area. So keep it into a simple language that's clear and concise. Um, just something on the business planning, it really sets a tone for me. Um, when I read the business planning, it's this is a business that has strategies in place. Um, they're implementing them. They're actually getting results. So it gives me a tone that they actually really do think their business through well. It's not done off a whim as such. So that really sets a tone for me in regard to the rest of the submission potentially. So, yeah. Thanks, Simon. 
Lani? Yes, I, I feel that uh, it adds a huge amount of depth to each sub submission, but also if if you're mentioning your, your targets and your goals and your out outcomes and so forth and they haven't been achieved, so similarly to what we were talking about before, just mention and validate why and what are the reasons um, a goal hasn't been met or targets haven't been achieved. If you validate that and explain that, it just provides the judges with further depth and, I guess, knowledge of, of those practices in place. And it um, shows that the business is, you know, means business and is, very, is taking it very seriously. Thank you. Paul. I just want to add really quickly onto that, um, something I was thinking about in terms of if you've had a goal and you didn't reach it, we'd much rather read about why that, why that didn't occur so you understand why it didn't occur rather than just not mention it. Because if by not mentioning it, it leaves us with more questions about, well, what are you potentially hiding? Um, and you don't want any of that sort of ambiguity coming into our thoughts um, about what you're actually trying to present. Mm. Thank you. Can I ask you guys a question, um, which is basically, those of you who've judged at national level, what makes, what's the difference between a national standard entry when you get to nationals as opposed to just one that's made silver, you know, bronze or a finalist? What is it that, that that shines about those submissions? At the national level? Yeah. Generally, there's not a lot of difference between the gold, silver and bronze at, at, yeah, a, right. at a national level uh, in terms of the, the points difference between them. Um, I guess what makes a winning submission is the clarity with which the answers are, are written, how, um, well, you know, well explained all the elements are and just the the conciseness the context it's everything just sort of flows in an in you know one of those ones that you know reaches virtually near 100% um which there there are those out there wow mm. yeah it's keeping the information clear concise it's also at a national level um, all the submissions are very, very close. So you really are starting to nitpick at that point. You're really looking for the tiniest little mistakes. We talked about questions before. If, if anything raises a question, it starts to undermine the whole submission. So really making sure you're consistent with your answers, that if you what you claim in your business planning side of things is also then mentioned in your marketing or your environmental sustainability, it's consistent all the way through. If you read through it and suddenly it's, there's an anomaly there, it leaves a question to the whole submission. So making sure it's really clear, concise, and just flows really well. Um, you know, if I've got to go and search for the information, I'm tired and I'm just going to not give you the energy, whereas if it's laid out in front of me and really simple and smooth, it just makes it so much easier to, to mark and, yeah, read. The, what I'd add to that was, um, yeah, it, at national level, they're all gold winners already, so they're all great submissions. But then what you're looking for at national level, I guess, is an exceptional one. But that's also difficult because some you get are all exceptional. So it's not like getting silver or bronze at nationals you've lost. It's like it's actually very difficult, I found, particularly in my first year of national judging, to try and work out who I actually thought should win in the categories that I had. And it might come down to, um, yeah, just that consistency of the message they're putting through. Um, and that's the... The way they explain things, if I read your answer once and I understand it, then that's great. If I have to then start going back through it and a couple more times or rereading a sentence to try and connect the dots on something, well, then someone else has just beaten you because they managed to explain it once and do it right. Um, and it comes down to time as well. That the more time we spend with the submission, that it makes us more and more tired, I guess. So if, it's, if it flows and it's easy to read, that actually makes a huge difference. Uh, so couple of questions left. Um, one of one is we often get asked, um, should we, I can't write my own submission, I'm a terrible writer, should I pay somebody? And I'm a small business, I don't have the money to pay somebody, um, therefore I shouldn't enter. So as a judge, how do you feel about the difference between professionally written and opera, owner operator written submissions? This is a, this is a tricky one having been an, an entrant ourselves um, as well as, as a judge and I think there's a belief out there that to win, you have to have it professionally written. And I can assure you as a, as a judge, uh, I've awarded plenty or our team has awarded uh, plenty of um, golds to team, to, sorry, entrants that have written their own 
own submission. Professionally written um, submissions are, you know, obviously they do it for a living. Um, it's what they're, what they're good at. Writing it yourself brings in a level of uh, personality generally and a level of passion that sometimes is not captured when, the, when it's been professionally written. But I think it does come down to your, to your skills. Like if, if you don't have a strong skill set in, in being able to blow your own trumpet and write about yourself and, and maybe see if someone else in your organisation or, or another um, colleague or, or friend can take what you've written and, and turn it around, it doesn't necessarily have to be through one of the, the you know, professional submission writers. Lani. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I agree with Alison and and uh, you you can tell and for me personally um you know, it, it really depends how it's um, presented at the end, but for me I love just hearing that heartfelt passion and we've used that word a lot during this um, conversation, but sometimes that can get lost and it, sometimes it can be a little bit maybe sterile and and really you know, as judges, we've we've all worked in the industry. A lot of the judges have written their own submissions, so we've been on that side of the table, and uh, we know, you know, we know how hard it is to to write those submissions. But if you really connect with your judge and provide that heartfelt connection and and passion, it it sort of it's it it's, it speaks volumes. And and uh, obviously, you know, well polished, professional written um, submissions are fantastic as well. Just as long as it keeps that heartfelt connection. Simon. And, and that's where it really comes back to that heart and the, the connection. Um, I mean, we throw the word passion around all the time, but it's, it's we engage and connect with what you've put forward. If you're a big business or a big organisation, try and get that um, personality through. Um, it gets lost if you haven't got that sort of connection to the heart. To the as a, as a reader of the submissions, I really want to connect to that business and understand it and if it's sterile and simple facts and figures I get lost and it loses the impact on me so again just some feedback if you are using a professional writer really work closely build a great relationship get that passion across there's That's a lot of nodding around the table as you so say so important it's it's so important and even if you are a big business I'm talking some some really big operators Work closely. Have you have do have someone writing it? Get that passion amongst it and into it. It's just so so important because that's what engages us when we're sitting down at nine or ten o'clock at night, having dealt with a full day's work and family issues. We actually want to be excited and enthralled by your submission, not put to sleep by facts and figures. And just you're a great business. You've got great figures, but we want to actually engage with you, understand you. Thank you. I think the only thing I wanted to pick up on from what Simon just said was about the small operator and, and big operator sort of side of things. And as a small business or a micro business, as so many of us, our Tasmanian businesses are, is not to think of the awards as only being for the big big businesses. Judges do take into context the size of your business. And, and if you're just a an owner-operator and you're trying to write about your, your training, staff training, and it's just you – you know, that's okay. The judges understand it. They still want to see that you're doing some level of professional development, but it doesn't have to be about sending your staff off to training at this, that and the other other place. Similarly, if you're a bigger business, then judges will expect to see that sort of information in there. So the judges really do take into context the size of, of your business and don't have unrealistic expectations of, of what a, a micro business or a sole trader or husband and wife team can do. Like, there's, a, there's an inverse advantage here in some way because some of the larger organisations are impersonal. They get so big that they lose the personalities because there is a whole group of people doing that so there's not a front office manager, there's a front office team, there's 18 of them or whatever it might be. And there is a p potential, I've noticed when I was judging anyway, that some of these larger organisations lose that. They might have a really good business, they might be absolutely on top of their game, but the personality and the flavour has disappeared altogether. 
So the, the, the micro business, smaller business, might have a small inverse advantage there because they are speaking from the heart from because that's all they do every day. Just a, just a thought. Yeah, and it, it does come back to scale and relevance and something I, I, I don't know if we're going to get to it, but something I noticed with some of the submissions that I've read, when the, well, the operation has a large parent company or it's part of a group, a group of businesses, I found sometimes it gets a bit lost in terms of what is it that, that local operator did for the customer experience? What did they implement? What was their initiative or their innovation versus they've got a parent company that dictates this is your brand, this is what you do, this is how you interact with people. Uh, and to me, if that distinction isn't clear, um, it raises questions for me about, well, you're talking about these innovations, but did your local business where you're situated actually come up with that or were you just told from higher up that's what you'll be doing? It doesn't matter if that is the case, but you need to explain it and make it clear because it can come down to how did you actually implement that? How did you tailor it to your local community, your local experience? Um, I think that's also a critical thing to mention, we're talking about the large versus small operators. Yeah, think about, um, yeah, what did you actually do? What was your innovation? Excellent. So we must be coming towards the end of our time, I think. Um, so putting everybody on the spot, including you, David, <laughs> um, one last piece of advice, tip, uh, anything that you've got to finish on? We'll go around the table by the person that looks at me first, Alison. <laughs> uh, don't spend all your time on the first questions and ignore the questions uh, four and five and, and the points that are available in those late, later questions. We spend so long going, starting at the beginning and forgetting about the, about the end. So as a judge, can you tell when they've just lost steam? Oh, definitely. <laughs> and, I, and I know the environmental questions don't have quite the same rating uh, point scoring this year as they have previously, but um, some of those ones were worth more points than than others far earlier in the in the submission, and they just did not get the energy that they uh, they deserved for the point value. Absolutely, um, that's one of the the things we notice. You get to the end, and the passion or the interest has just dropped off. So there's kind of three areas I would. Talk about one is try and answer the question. Um, you it can fill up. Simple, a, but I it's know, but we, we, we see the exact same question that you do. So if we read the question and we read your answer and we look at it and think, well, that didn't actually even mention what the question was. What, what points are we going to award you? You might have told us something really interesting and incredible and amazing, but if it didn't actually answer the question, then you haven't got any points out of it. You've just wasted space and time. Um, second one is take pride in what you do. Um, because that will come across. So if you're proud of your business and what you do and how you interact with your customers, um, put that into the submission because we do pick up on that. Um, and thirdly, if you're putting in facts and figures and stats that you've found, they need to be relevant um, and preferably provide a source of where that came from. Um, you know, we don't want to just assume that, well, you know, you've put a number in there, so it must be accurate. When you can actually you know, give a reference where it's come from because it shows that you've put some research and time into what you're doing. Thank you. Lani? Thank you. So my two points would be uh, firstly following on from um, Paul's um, referencing your pride in your submission. So get someone else to proofread it. You can get so close to these documents and the words are spinning around your head, but spelling, grammar, typos all go to that towards that um, professional uh, submission or unprofessional submission. And the other uh, point that I would raise is um, keep it in context and uh, referencing for the submission year only. Like it's great to provide background context, but if with any examples and so forth, have it current and, you know, thinking about that tourism and that customer experience. Crikey, what's <laughs> left to say? Um, really important is simple, clear language. Don't assume that I know your business and I know your industry. Um, like most of the judges, we've all been around the industry for a long time, but things change. Really be careful with the jargon you use, the language you use. Keep it simple and clear and concise. And the other one, which I'm really surprised I didn't hear a lot of, is passion. <laughs> haven't heard that I, at all I today. Keep, keep coming back to that, but personality, your personality as why you started off the business, 
what it is that keeps you going in those days when things really are dark and tough and things aren't going so well? What is it that gets you out of bed and gets you out there to meet the guests and gives them an amazing time and amazing experience? Convey that across because that's what we'll engage with, we'll connect with when we're sitting there having done a day's work ourselves, can relate to that and understand what it is because we're, we're in business or have been in business, most of us, and done that so we can relate to that and understand it. I don't have anything to add to that, Sam. I think that's been an amazing podcast this afternoon. So thank you so much to Paul, Lani, Alison and Simon. For, thank you so much indeed. I've just realised that the entry of this whole introduction today should have been, please pull your car over to the side of the road because you are going to need paper and pencil. <laughs> yeah, you've made some notes. Faro because there are so many good notes about this. And I'm serious to the listeners. The type of um, the type of tips that you can pull out of this podcast are extraordinary. I'm going to win because <laughs> I've written them all down. But if you were just to try and make a quick synopsis to finalise this and wrap it up, if you make a personal, passionate and concise submission which takes your judges on a journey and connects with them and most of it is answering the question, it's got to be a winner. So with that, I'd like to say thank you very much indeed and thank you for listening and I hope you got as much value as I did out about this conversation. If you enjoyed today's show, please tell your tourism colleagues for them to take a listen as well. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week with our next episode. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism. Talking Tourism.